Hello and welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I'm so excited for this episode. I just want to dive right in, but we should probably do some courtesies and I'm going to introduce my co-host, Emily. Hello. Hello. Welcome again, Emily. And yes. would you please introduce our pastor yes. panel? Uh, welcome again to Pastor Amanda Neppel. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Good to see you, everybody, again. And welcome Richard back. Webb. Thanks. It's also good to be on and looking forward to this. It's going to be good. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've got two, yeah. two, of, two of Hope's <laughs> finest uh, are here, finest theologians. Uh, Amanda leads our entire adult ministry, which includes discipleship uh, ministries here at Hope. So she's a deep thinker. And Dr. Richard Webb, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, you know, if you know him, you already know this. That's if you right. don't know him, if you're new to the podcast, um, it's brilliant, man. Uh, yes. And so yes. we're just blessed to have both of you here. Yeah. And uh, we have some really good ground to cover. We're going to talk about suffering, mm. some other things, and sex all in one podcast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that ought to keep people with us to the end. <laughs> yeah. Plus, there's a there's a pollution warning outside, right? Yeah. yeah. The smoke yeah. from the, mm-hmm. the wildfires mm-hmm. that are here, at least where we're based in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. So this is a good day to be inside and yep. tune in live. So yeah. yes. hello to all Absolutely. of you who are live and... And hi to everybody catching this on demand too. Yeah. So Emily, what do you think? I think we're ready to go. Uh, let's let's go then. Uh, Ted Lasso, kick it off. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh yeah, no, should have saw that coming. Okay, we're gonna look at our Old Testament reading, the Book of Job, and start there. Why did God allow Satan to bring so much suffering upon Job? Yeah, uh, Job is this really beautiful story about a man who suffered in a way that goes beyond probably anything any of us will ever have to endure. Um, And to make matters more uh, challenging for Job, he was faithful. He was a good man, Mm -hmm. which immediately pushes the buttons of anybody who says, well, everything in this fallen world, we're not talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the kingdom of this earth, everything in this sinful, fallen, rebellious world, and it's been that way since the Garden of Eden, is supposed to work out perfectly. Well, this is not a perfect world. Mm-hmm. It is a good creation. It is still a part of God's good creation. But it also gets a little wild and woolly sometimes. It also mm-hmm. gets dangerous sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes really bad things happen to people like Job who are really faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this really gets our attention right away. Yeah. For anybody who's ever had to endure any suffering, for anybody who's in the midst of it right now in the wilderness, for anybody who will someday, and I just... I just described everybody mm-hmm. at yep. this table mm-hmm. and everybody who's listening to this podcast. Job is for you. Job is for me. Job is for us. It really tells a story. So to get to the question that you asked, Emily, which we're hearing from our church as we read through the book of Job, mm-hmm. why did God allow Satan to bring so much suffering upon Job? On a theological level, we can parse that. We can push, you know, we can put Bible verses together and take the totality of Scripture and say, well, there was this fall, there's this rebellion, it's not a perfect world. So sometimes bad things happen because I do bad things and I deserve it. Sometimes bad things happen because other people do bad things. And so I didn't deserve it, but I get it. Uh, And other times, this is Job. Things happen that are terrible. Suffering occurs. And I didn't do anything to bring it on. Mm -hmm. It just hits. Now, this is the hard category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things, and and I think in a lot of ways, God inspired the author to set up the worst case imaginable. So, you know, we've got God and the devil being good buddies up there in heaven, which is a little shocking. And then, um, you know, um, God brags on Job, and and, and then all of a sudden it's like a poker game, and Mm -hmm. we're going to see who wins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I almost get the sense, you know, that the whole point of the first two chapters is to rile up the reader. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and Soto says, have you ever felt like you had trouble telling the difference between God and the devil? Right. And then off we go. Hmm. Let, yeah. Let's hit, yeah. let's not assume everybody's read Job mm-hmm. and maybe they're just going to get into it, but they still haven't sure. read it. What does Job lose? The, the, give us mm-hmm. the quick laundry list there. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, he loses his family. Yep. He loses mm-hmm. his wealth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he loses his health eventually. Mm-hmm. Eventually. He, mm-hmm. he loses, all he's got left is God. Yeah. And his wife. He's rich, yes. too. Yeah. We he's probably should mention that. very rich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got everything. Yes. He loses everything mm-hmm. except for just the, just a little bit that's yep. left. Mm-hmm. Although that little bit is a lot. He's yeah. got his mm-hmm. wife. He's got his God. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But everything else is gone. Well, there's, yeah. e- there's even a minus uh, because his three friends are sort of dubious assets. <laughs> we'll get to that in the next question. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Hold, hold the phone there. Yeah. All, right, I'm, yeah. all right. Amanda, yeah. what, what, what do you want to say? Why does God allow su- – why does God allow – because God doesn't mm-hmm. cause suffering. Right, but- right. I just think it's a really interesting uh, tension that we're going to see as we kind of go into Job here a little, a little bit. We're going to be faced with uh, the way that humans have always interpreted suffering, which you started to mention a little bit, Mike. But it's when – when Job endures this, it seems to us we are presented really with two possibilities for why this happened. And the possibilities that we're presented with are either A, because Job was sinful, uh, and that's the conclusion that his friends come to. He had to have been sinful. So that's the first option. Although, as the reader, we know what Job and his friends don't necessarily know. Job is pretty sure that he's innocent, <laughs> but God himself says Job is blameless. Yeah. I mean, that is a big word it's for big God statement. to use in mm-hmm. reference to human, a human being, right? Mm-hmm. And so we know um, that option one, that Job is a sinner, that looks like reality to his friends, but we know that that is not a legit possibility. So the only other option that Job can see, which interestingly, we're gonna when we look at his friends, we're going to see that the more his friends talk, the more Job is like, I'm innocent. I didn't do any of these things that you are accusing me of doing. And so what he sees as the only option for why this is happening to him then is because God is really bad at God's job. I mean, Mm -hmm. from the human perspective, those are the only two options that we get in Job. Either Job was a sinner or God is bad at at God's job. By the time we get, though, to chapter 38, and we're going to get to that in our conversation today, that's when we're presented with the third option of what's going on here, which is really... You don't know anything. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. Did, did you want to add something? I love that this debunks those things because I think yeah. like as pastors and leaders, we're asked about suffering all the time. I'm sure mm-hmm. you're all asked about it. Absolutely. And this debunks the idea that one, it's because of something you did mm-hmm. or two, God is messed up because yeah. It, that, yeah. that's just not It's really real. interesting you say that because yeah. Job doesn't just... Job doesn't give us the easy answers that we might think we want, mm-hmm. but trust me, we don't want. Yeah. Mm. Because there are no easy answers to, mm-hmm. to the kind of suffering Job has to endure. The most blameless man who receives the highest levels of suffering. So we see in Job, okay, well, at least I'm not Job. Yeah. <laughs> at least it's not that bad. <laughs> but that said, Job does... Well, it doesn't give us the easy answer, like here's why God allows right. suffering or here's here's how we should see it. It does rule out, as you're saying, mm-hmm. Emily, it does rule out the stuff that I'm not going to just say people outside of the church believe, but a lot of people inside the church believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's implied in sort of a hyper-spiritual way that is not biblically faithful when people say, well, you know, 
you've you've got this problem because you must have done something. There's some unrepentant sin. There's some there's some darkness in you that that and it gets a real it gets a really shame based and uncomfortable really quick. But that leads into our next question. So let's mm-hmm. let's frame it with that question okay. and then we'll go more into it. Okay. In what ways do Job's friends help Job make sense of his suffering? And in what ways does their help make things worse? Mm. Yeah. So you know Job's friends. Um, <laughs> they start out great. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, they start out so great. They like, showed up. They showed up wonderful, right? Like they did. They heard about what happened to their friend and they rushed to his side. And then the Bible tells us uh, uh, verses 11, when three of Job's friends, uh, it's chapter two, verse 11. When they heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. And it gives mm-hmm. their names. Um, and mm-hmm. they wail loudly. They tear their clothes. They go into to the traditional signs of mourning that they're supposed to do. Do. They sit on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word because they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, we could only yeah. wish to have, hope to have friends mm-hmm. like that in our life, right? Who are willing just to sit and um, be the gift of presence. Huge. Right? Mm-hmm. Huge. They start out, you know, they're getting an A plus so far. And then uh, Job, <laughs> Job, is ready to talk. And so Job starts talking and he starts saying how I wish I'd never been born. I wish the, you know, my, I wish my mother had never gotten pregnant. I wish, why wasn't I born dead? All of these things that reflected his heart. And as pastors, we've sat in that space where people are asking these questions where you you feel that heartbreak in them and you know that truly they are wishing they would do almost anything to not have to deal with this circumstance, whatever it is that they're dealing with. And it's hard to hear people be in that yeah. place. Yeah. It, it truly is. It's hard to hear people be in that place. And Job's friends uh, have not gone through CPE or <laughs> any of the... Clinical pastoral <laughs> yeah. education. Yes. Yeah. Uh, any of the things uh, that... that uh, pastors are so, well, at least in the Lutheran church, that have to go through, thank heavens, uh, to learn how to be really uncomfortable with people, right? Uh, they've never done that. And so then they start in, they cannot bear to hear Job talk about how he wished he'd never been born or that he'd been born dead or born dead. And so then they start in with telling him all of the ways that he must have deserved what has happened to which him, which is when it turns unfortunate, which is when yeah. things start to go south. And as I said, like, I think that as they lay into him and as they continue to go on and he responds back to them, it does solidify for him in his own mind. You're just wrong. You're, you're just wrong. Uh, I'm not guilty here. Right. And so you, uh, you see that come to pass, but I think that what Job's friends are doing in so many ways. And I think, uh, this is a lesson that we really would be well served to understand. We've also, all uh, officiated funerals. And we have heard people say wonky, and I will go so far as to say terrible things to people who have recently lost someone. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And people do that, I believe, to comfort themselves uh, because they don't understand, you know, the loss of a child. None of us does. They don't understand, you know, this deep mourning. And people will say things that they mean well. They mean well by saying, I guess God just needed another angel. But nobody who's just lost their child wants to hear that God needed their child from them. Nobody wants to hear that. Right. On the surface, it has some comfort to it. But about about five minutes later, it just leaves an aftertaste that is so difficult. It's, it's like, well, then why am I in that line? Yeah. How, I, what, what did I do to get here? Yeah. What, what, mm-hmm. why, or if it's just random because yeah. we live in a fallen world, 
what kind of a God there do we is. have? Right. Absolutely. Why does God need my kid? No, he, he shouldn't. Right. So, so, but I think that the person who offers that says that because it makes them feel better in the moment mm. to yes. sit and be quiet. We kind of glossed over how hard that is, but that was when Job's friends were at his ba- their, best their best when they were being quiet. So we understand that urge to be able to say something that's going to help, but what people need from us is is presence more often than any yeah. kind of trite, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's a good pat word. answer. Yeah. Yes. yeah, let's let's keep going. Uh, there's more to say about that, but but so far, I guess what we'd say is Job is suffering deeply for things that he hasn't done. Mm-hmm. His friends do the right thing by showing up, which is just so important. It's just mm-hmm. so important. I still remember at, at maybe one of the most uh, grieving times of my life when my dad died. I still remember the people who showed up. I don't remember a word they said. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember a, the sermon. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. remember. I mean, little bits of it, sure. You know, But I remember how supported I felt mm-hmm. and our family felt because friends were there and family mm-hmm. was there and it doesn't have to be a lot of people it just has to be you just got to have people you got to this is why church is so important right. mm-hmm. we're we're better in community yeah. Um, but yeah let's let's get to the the big one here on job mm-hmm. yeah so how does the book of job in the end help us gain perspective on human suffering god's wisdom and justice the complexity of life and keeping the faith Oh, wow. Yeah, in, in five seconds. No, yeah. um, what I want to start... You can take a little more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the places I want to start is actually thinking uh, a little bit nerdy with um, the, the 2 through 37 section, um, where if you look at the arguments themselves, they're sort of... That the friends are making. Yeah, the friends are making. And what you find is they're right, but they're on the wrong premise. Okay. In, in other words, the, it's sort of like the best of Hebrew wisdom misapplied, because they're assuming that Job is guilty, and so building on that, they talk about what happens to the guilty, mm-hmm. and it's all about justice and, and, and all that. The problem is, it's a massive misapplication of, of, of Scripture, and, and, and that gives me pause, because it's like, how many times do I let loose with something without listening closely enough to see if what I'm saying actually has anything to do with the context? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm busy fixing someone, and they're like, I, I don't need that. Right. You know, and, and, and to me, but that's very important because now we get another kind of wisdom when God shows up. And instead of these beautifully crafted essays and expositions on God's justice, he just basically launches in with, first of all, he says, brace yourself. <laughs> you know, he's like, dude, you know who you're talking to? You know, gird yourself like a fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, and he says, okay. And then he goes on this rant of, of basically, I call them, were you theirs? You know, were you there when I you know, created the universe? Were you there this? And then he says this thing that is just in your face shocking. He says, when I created Leviathan and Behemoth for the sport of it. Mm-hmm. Now, just a little bit of context. Leviathan was this big old sea monster who sort of was a stand-in for chaos. Talking about wild and woolly. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah, we were yeah. saying before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and remember, God created... Uh, God created everything out of the chaos. Mm-hmm. And so to have Job here, I created chaos for fun. You know, and and again, I think it's that's pushing is 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 are you gonna trust God even when he sounds really, really frightening? Um, and it kind of goes on like that. And finally Job says, Okay, I've been arguing about things above my pay grade. I apologize. And then here's where it gets crazy. God restores him. But then he says, pray for your three friends, sacrifice for them, in fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we discover, if we haven't figured it out by ourselves, we discover they weren't helping. Mm -hmm. Now, I think your point, Amanda, is so important, is the impulse to help, 
to make ourselves feel better is so strong that mm-hmm. even with all that clinical pastoral education, <laughs> I don't know how many times I've said, oh, well, I tried to fix them again. What's interesting is Job doesn't tell us, <clears throat> God doesn't tell us mm-hmm. as yeah. God responds to Job, mm-hmm. why? Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel the need to defend himself. Nope. But he basically says, you wouldn't understand it if I told you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have yeah. the capacity. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have a human mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have an all-knowing mind like I do. You don't see what I see. Mm-hmm. God speaks this through the prophet Isaiah later in the Old Testament. He says, my ways aren't your ways. Yeah. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And God's responses to Job are very clear on that. Mm-hmm. Look, here, I don't, he's not, God isn't just saying, hey, you have to trust me. Mm-mm. God's saying, trust me because I see what you don't see. I, Job, if you tried to do what I do for a day, you'd ruin it all <laughs> Be, because because I'm seeing how all this yeah. stuff fits together. Mm-hmm. And I would also, and so pastorally or just practically, that really helps me. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, my suffering is big mm-hmm. and it's overwhelming, but my God is bigger. Mm-hmm. And he comes in with a Without a, oh, no, you know, you're going to get mad at me. Not at all. That's not God's spirit here. God's mm. spirit is, I love you. Mm-hmm. I still care about you. Creation is still good. I have a plan to redeem the whole world, which we're going to see through the totality of Scripture, especially as we get through the prophets and then into the New Testament. But even before that, mm-hmm. even before that, I'm still God, God is saying. I mm-hmm. still, you're going to have to trust me because I do see Mm-hmm. how your suffering fits into something bigger. Mm-hmm. I do see, even though there's no way you're going to see it, which is why I think yeah. the Bible doesn't give us a clear, right. easy, yeah. hey, here's why suffering right. happens. It's because we wouldn't get it anyway. Right. Not this mm-hmm. side of heaven. Someday, maybe, you know, when we get into heaven, mm-hmm. if we care anymore mm-hmm. about that, we'll say, oh, now I see. Mm-hmm. Now I see what God saw because yeah. now I have a glorified mind, not just body. Now I see mm-hmm. things. Job put it this way. The last chapter of Job, verse 5, amongst Job's final words in the whole book, I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. Mm. Now that's a transformation. So the part of this we haven't talked about is how God uses our suffering to strengthen us, Mm -hmm. to grow our faith. And it's Mm -hmm. true. I mean, you know, when I was on the college basketball team, I hated practice. We all hated, all my teammates hated practice. We suffered mm-hmm. together and we stood by <laughs> each other like Job's friends, the good mm-hmm. they did. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there was bad advice, like the bad things Job's mm-hmm. friends did. And our coach was the evil, you know, Satan mm-hmm. of, of the team because he's making us do all these things. But man, were we in good shape for that mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Sure. It, we, we were strengthened 100%. because mm-hmm. of what we had to do and what we had, the suffering we had to go mm-hmm. through. Now that's just a silly metaphor because yeah. the suffering we feel outside of a sport is certainly way deeper than that. But God is good. Mm-hmm. Job changed. Mm-hmm. Job got stronger because mm-hmm. of his suffering, ironically. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make the suffering easy. And sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. even make it worth it. No. But we have to ultimately humble ourselves before a God who sees and knows things we don't know. Absolutely. A couple of things I'm thinking. One is Paul circles around twice to this theme in Romans 5. He says suffering produces endurance, mm-hmm. produces mm-hmm. character, and that produces hope. Then obviously Romans 8, 28, 29, all things work together to shape us the image of Christ. Right. I want to test something out on you guys that I've been thinking about. And that also means, you know, just real quick before mm-hmm. we lose that thought, mm-hmm. It's not like God isn't in the details mm-hmm. while we're suffering. He's not like, Absolutely. oh, well, you're just going to have to handle this on your uh-huh. own. Nope. I'm going to leave you alone. Mm-hmm. No, God yeah. is in the ditch with yeah. us, yeah. in the deepest, darkest mm-hmm. valley, mm-hmm. the shadow of death. Yeah. So here, here's the thing, is, as I was thinking, uh, in our culture, we're very individualistic. So we think of this as a story about individual suffering. Right. 
But I can imagine also the community of God's people, Israel, using this to make sense of their journey. And then again, the early Christian church using Job to make sense of their journey. Here they are, for all their faithfulness in following Jesus, they're getting kicked in the teeth both by the Jerusalem leadership and by the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. So, Amanda, what would you say about anything else you want to say? (laughs) Because I don't want to just direct you in one place. But in addition to whatever else might be on your mind on this, because we covered Job fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could do a whole series of podcasts on this, uh, but we have to move on because we want to do half on Job of this podcast and half on Corinthians. But what would you say to the person who's out there listening to this podcast who's in the middle of it? What, What would you tell them as a pastor? What would you tell them as a Bible reader? What would you tell them about what you've learned? Yeah. And it's interesting that you ask that because one of the things that I think about as I think about Job, I'll, I, I hope that I always remember this. Um, I was uh, doing a message on suffering. That's what we were talking about that weekend. I think it was a Sunday night message. And I noticed a man sitting out uh, in the worship center and I was noticing his body language the whole time. He had his arms folded. Uh, he never made any sort of indication of response or anything to, you know, anything that I said, but his state was, it was intense, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I noticed him and then we get done, uh, with, with service and the song is done and he came up to me and just like, let me have it. And his argument was respectfully, his argument was, um, how did God allow Satan to test Job? How could God do that? And God, I think is doing the same thing to me is what this man said. Uh, if I, this man said, if I were to tell you the whole story, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, the things that have happened to me, you, you would never be able to believe them. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to forgive God for the things that have happened. And, you know, of course I, (laughs) I invited him to, to come back. I said, here's the thing. I said, come back anytime this week. I said, no matter what I'm doing, I will Mm -hmm. stop. I'll, if I'm doing what it doesn't matter, I I want to, you know, I will talk to you or there's somebody who can talk to you. Like I can't, now isn't going to be a good time for this, but, but please, 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 please come back. And, and he didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I think about that a lot. I think about that when I think about, um, younger folks as well. Um, I have young adult kids and their biggest argument against um, faith that my feeling is for that generation is not a spiritual realm. It's if God is God and if God is going to be good at God's job, then why does all this stuff happen? Uh, and I, I truly think that for a lot of people, that's a much bigger hiccup than um, than believing, honestly, that it there is. could be a God. Yeah. Um, and what we see that happens here in Job, you know, God didn't have to answer Job at all. Mm-hmm. He really did, and he mm-hmm. could have just let him wrestle with it and sit in it, and he could have he could have just said, "Well, I'm God, you're not. Figure it out on your." You know, I mean, he could have said absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he responds to Job is in power, and it's in his um, righteousness, and in his majesty, and in his awesomeness. Not the way that we think of awesome in terms of it being kind of a small word, but the awesomeness of who God is. And when Job experiences a glimpse of that, all of a sudden that does, that is enough to change Job's perspective and to help him understand that there's so much that he doesn't know. And I know that that's hard even for us to wrap our own heads around uh, how, how that helps. But you think about then raising kids and how many times do you tell your kids, don't touch the stove, don't do this, don't do that. Why do you do that? Because you understand something they don't understand. And you'd really like for them to just trust you enough to not touch the stove stove versus having to pull up, you know, something down on Mm -hmm. themselves or or get their hand burned or or any of those things. I think if we're willing to humble ourselves and this might 
maybe be a good lead into what Paul's talking about mm-hmm. with wisdom. It is. Uh, but if we are willing to humble ourselves to accept that there are things this side of heaven that we don't understand and we probably never will, yeah. but God has his hand on all of it, then we can accept that we are toddlers. We are yeah. toddlers. We are spiritual toddlers. Even the most mature of us are spiritual toddlers. Mm. Uh, and and so we need a loving parent to uh, to guide us, to know that even when things don't go well, that loving parent is still still has his hands on the wheel uh, and is working things together for our salvation and for our good. That's so well said. The, the, the thing I would say to anybody who's listening to us right now who's felt like that man or feels like mm-hmm. that man who just was so upset with God mm-hmm. or a generation that's, that's mm-hmm. so upset with God, like you said, Amanda, really true. It's not that I don't believe there is a God, these folks could say. It's that I'm not sh- How do I know God is good? Yeah. And Job really does answer that question. It does get to, because God, as you said, doesn't have to answer, but God does. Mm-hmm. So God is not, it's not just that God is, it's that God loves yeah. and that God shows up mm-hmm. and that God is with us in our sorrow. And it's, that's not just, a, that sounds almost like if you just took it by itself, mm-hmm. But now put it in the context of the life of Christ, who is God become flesh, Mm -hmm. and he cries out from the cross, why have you forsaken me? And he suffers, and he he goes through excruciating pain on every level, relational pain, emotional, physical, all of it. And when he sees us in our sorrow, what does he do? Shortest verse in the Bible, he weeps with us. He Mm -hmm. shows up at the funeral, and he weeps with us. Mm -hmm. God is not just in existence. God is good mm-hmm. and God loves. And ultimately that's what he tells Job. And that's when Job says, now I see you. Mm-hmm. Now I see you for who you are, not just this this version that I, the world told me you have to be, that in order for you to be all powerful and all good, therefore you, you exist, but you also have to make sure everything goes perfectly for us. That's not the reality in no, this, in this no. fallen world. It just isn't. And yet God doesn't wash his hands of us. Right. Like so many of us, what is human beings and people who do us wrong? And that's wrong too. But God has grace and God keeps relentlessly pursuing us, not just when we get to the mountaintop, but in the deepest, darkest valley. I would like to add to that. If you're in that suffering, I think Job's friends messed up and after they were really good. Yeah. In this day, I think it's so important to be in community because... Yes. There are other people who can remind you of those things when you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And so I was recently reminded of that, of I'd been through a season that was really tough. And now I was talking to someone who was in it and mm-hmm. I could say there is hope. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there are usually people around you who pro- no one has your exact same circumstances, but who can remind you right. that God provides a hope that you would not have otherwise. God yeah. provides a hope. That's why we call ourselves yeah, a church right. of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we go from old to new. Yeah, 1 Corinthians, we're talking about chapters 1 through 6. Why does Paul open 1 Corinthians with a cautionary word on the shortcomings of uh, following famous apostles and brilliant philosophers? Because it's dangerous. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, to answer the good question that we're hearing, is it, it seems like Paul's really hitting this point hard. And if you gathered that from reading the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, you're right. Uh, harmony, uh, Concordia. I'm wearing my college alum <laughs> sweatshirt today for that reason, because Paul is saying over and over again, repeatedly, look, Corinthian church, you got a problem. And this is one that modern day Christianity can relate to. You're divided over the wrong things. Now, there's a time to not be together. But the reasons that we have for not being together as the body of Christ, as the church, just don't 
pass the test of yeah. scripture. They, they don't rise to the level. And so Paul's saying that and he's saying, he's not just telling us, Hey, have harmony. Everybody sing your notes. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about last week in Romans, Paul hit that same theme in Romans at the end. So the last four chapters of Romans, the first four chapters of Corinthians are really the same theme. You, you, you can't split up over secondary things. You got to, you, you got to stop. Yeah. And Paul's saying, are you kidding me? And then he doesn't just tell, tell us here's the problem and you can't do it. He gets to the source yeah. this time. Yeah. He says, the reason you do is because instead of following Jesus, you follow the prophets or the apostles or the preachers or the teachers or the Christian band or, or the blogger or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you put more faith in them than you do in the word of God. You, you, you spend more time looking for pithy sayings and, and, and wait, you know, something you can post on, on the gram you know, and say, Here, here's my thing, which... Look, if that's what you do, gentle listener, I'm all for it. Please do more of that. That's good. We, you know, better that than some weak self-help thing, you know, out of nowhere. But God's word is deeper than all that. And, and what Paul is saying, some of you say, I follow me, Paul. Some of you say you follow Apollos, another preacher, apostle. And others of you follow Peter. It's nonsense, Paul says. This is ins- do any of us save you? No. <laughs> Jesus saves. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think you got it. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think that's that was it. Oh, there's okay. so much more we can do there. But yeah, we, 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 we've got a lot of ground to cover. So I, yeah. I'm really into the next question. But I am too. So let's go. How does spiritual truth differ from human wisdom? Man, and, and this is a great pickup from the last question, because when you think of, of Corinth, I mean, they thought they were oh so smart. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they were probably the intellectual center of uh, one of the major intellectual centers of the Roman Empire. Uh, so think of it as a place populated by universities, to use mm-hmm. kind of our way of understanding things. Yeah, yeah. And so the latest, greatest, hottest, coolest, everything was there. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting, paradoxically, we also know that this community was populated by slaves who were not even regarded as people in the Roman Empire, and, and also by Jews who also by Gentiles were regarded as garbage. So right. we have this paradox of, 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 shall we say, very high Roman culture with a whole lot of people they regarded as nobodies. And, and, and yet it seems that the, the Corinthian church has sort of caught the virus of aren't we smart? And so Paul has to just get to it. And so he says, this is why we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, in other words, by the culture's brilliance, but taught by what? The Spirit. And and, and that that just comes right to it. In other words, God himself is our teacher, not any philosopher, not any, uh, you know, as you said, you just named the whole grocery list, not not the apostles. Well, and this is Corinth, so Greek philosophy has huge... Corinth is located in southern Greece. Yeah, yeah. And so the influence of philosophers of the last several centuries and even Mm -hmm. modern day ones are going to be... And they get an intellectual arrogance out of that, too. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, we have the philosophy, so we're going to... That pretty much saves us. Yeah, so we have our tweed jackets, our wine, and and, (laughs) and our pipes, you know. And aren't we just the coolest? (laughs) We're just sick. Oh, academically elite, aren't yes, we? Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. And Paul just going right at it. You know, he says, the person without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit. This is verse 14 in chapter two, but considers them foolishness, which is interesting. So he's sort of adopting the position of the sophisticated Corinthian. And he says that's because they don't understand things that are discerned through the spirit. He's sort of saying, oh, there's two ways of looking at life. You can look at life built upon your own wisdom and your own knowledge. Or you can look at life from the way that God sees stuff, yeah. and that's the things of the Spirit. 
And then he kind of flips on its head and says, the person of the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Another way to see that is, you want to see true discernment? It's not because of your PhD, it's because you've been hanging with God and His perspective has rubbed off on you. Mm. And and, and and then he finally just kind of slaps it down and says, we have the mind of Christ. We do. Mm-hmm. And he also really is trying his best. He he builds a case, and then he finally actually gets around to saying it. <laughs> um, you are not nearly as smart as you think you are. Yeah. You are babies. When I came to you, I talked to you like you were babies. Uh-huh. You know why? Because you were babies. Your maternal gene is kicking in right <laughs> now. Yeah, uh-huh. I can't, yeah, I can't help it. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, he one. does. And he says, I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. I did this so that you wouldn't be able to say, oh, Paul, you you know, that, that Paul's, that his own words were, uh, you know, it was his words that, mm-hmm. that the way he explained something, because in this culture, as you were saying, Richard, they're absolutely going to be uh, accustomed to picking their philosopher, picking mm-hmm. their sophist and following mm-hmm. that person and repeating that. But that's, that's how they knew how to do everything. Right. And so he's like, I came to you and I talked to you like a child because I didn't want you to get impressed by my words. Mm. And then he goes on and, you know, he's like, he does then go on to say, here's the thing. When you are more spiritually mature, you will understand more. Mm -hmm. You will then understand the things that God wants you to understand. Certainly it's going to be, you know, um, no, he still says, quotes Isaiah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. He's, he's, you don't arrive. He's being very clear to say that, but Mm -hmm. he is saying you will come to have more of this wisdom that you're seeking if you are willing to do do the work. And if you are willing to allow yourself to be humbled and be, if you're willing to allow yourself to be a beginner, yeah. right. Yeah. And then he finally goes on and say at the beginning of the chapter three, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in this mm-hmm. Christian life. I mm-hmm. had to feed you with milk because you weren't ready. Right. Paul's not anti-intellectual. He's no. highly educated. He's highly yeah. trained. It, philosophy would be his thing uh, if it weren't for him proclaiming the gospel. It's just that he's found something better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's, ju- it's just that he grabbed on. It's, it's like Jesus' parable of the pearl of great price. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give up everything else to hold on to this pearl. And, mm-hmm. and if you really want a pearl of wisdom, says this wise, brilliant apostle named Paul, you're not going to find anything deeper than the mystery of God. I like the way Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 2, it's verse 7. The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, Paul writes. God's plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. So, I mean, we're going, the, the, the well goes real mm-hmm. deep here. Yeah. And he's saying, so there's this mystery that even the most brilliant, you know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, even the most brilliant Greek philosophers are going to miss if they don't find the gospel along the way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things run parallel, but sometimes they contradict. So you got to choose what's your mm-hmm. deepest source of truth. And for Paul, he's saying, is it the wisdom of this world at its best? Well, I'm, as you both said so well, I'm going to raise that one. And it, Spiritual truth, God's truth is timeless. Worldly truth tends to be trendy. Mm -hmm. Philosophies come and go, depending on the seasons, the way the winds change. Cultural views certainly come and go. Mm -hmm. History teaches Mm -hmm. us this. Uh, Even science, it, it, it certainly changes because, I mean... Would you want to be treated today the way somebody was treated for, um, you know, a broken arm 150 years ago? No, or, you. you know, it, it, 
or, or, or you know, the, 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 the treatments that mm-hmm. the medical world used based yeah. into the science of their day yeah. is not what they would do today, <laughs> nor history teaches, will it be what we do 150 mm-hmm. years from now? Mm-hmm. Because it will continue to change. So are you really going to put the deepest source of truth to be science or is science this beautiful, wonderful subset of a wider and deeper truth even than that? It's a mystery that Paul mm-hmm. says. But so you start to say, oh, well, it's a mystery. And then the Gnostics kick in, which is this old ancient heresy that still kind of wields its way into our culture today, mm-hmm. where then the super spiritual people grab onto this too. The hyper spirituals, they're, they're like, oh, well, there's this secret sort of knowledge that only we have. And we know that Jesus has a special name that nobody else really mm-hmm. gets. Or, or it comes out in all sorts of sideways mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. It, it, never minding how language actually works. But, and, and they go down this pathway which makes you feel like, oh, I'm getting seduced now by the trendy religious stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, now that's the wisdom of this world too. Mm-hmm. Instead of the mystery that Paul mm-hmm. writes about in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, he says it's actually this really simple thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not simplistic. No. Mm-hmm. But the deepest stuff is this simple truth. There's a God. This God loves you. He sent his son to prove it. Look at the cross. Look at the empty tomb. Follow him. I'm telling you, the intellect, the educated Paul, the brilliant mm-hmm. genius, walking, talking Paul mm-hmm. says... You got it wrong. So humble yourselves, you arrogant Corinthians. <laughs> humble yourselves and realize there's a higher truth. Yeah. There's, there's a deeper well. Yeah. What's so fascinating about that is this truth is accessible to everyone because it's not an idea. Right. You know, and, and, and as you, you talked about, is, is, you know, there's... It's all, a movement. Well, it's, it's even, something we do. Well, I'm thinking back to Job. I'd only heard about you, but now I've seen you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I mm-hmm. think about um, Thomas when he, he touches Jesus, my Lord and my God. Right. Is at the end of the day, the mystery is God himself. Right. And, and, and we go right back to the Spirit. And, 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 and God wants to be deeply connected with every one of us, which means he invites us into the mystery. Yeah. And you don't need a PhD for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Good, Good stuff. Yeah. Where does the power come from to endure getting kicked around for humbly and faithfully pointing people to Jesus? Amanda? Yeah, yeah. yeah pastor. <laughs> <laughs> How do you handle that? Getting kicked around like, like happens to everybody, everybody in ministry or not. But everybody. sometimes we get kicked around because we're proclaiming yeah. this truth. Yeah, absolutely. And in chapter 4, verse 20... Uh, Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Uh, Because this is the same Paul who wrote, you know, I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. You know, this is the same Mm -hmm. Paul who says, I've learned how to live with everything I need and lacking everything. Mm -hmm. And he talks about all the ways previously in chapter four, uh, you know, not having enough to eat, being beaten up, all the things that we read about in Acts. I mean, um, those things that happened to him, Paul, Paul writes about them as he writes his letters. I uh, I don't want to give you like this idea that, you know, when I think about all the things Paul endured, and I don't mm-hmm. know if any of you participate in this kind of a thought exercise, <laughs> would I be able to respond the way that Paul responded? And I'm yeah. going to say mm-hmm. plainly, I don't know, yeah. right? It's, it's pretty high bar. It's yeah. a pretty yeah. high bar. But I can say simultaneously um, that God meets us in our circumstances. And though my circumstances are different and all of our circumstances are different and all of us who follow Jesus, our circumstances are different. But almost certainly every single one of us has or will be misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Every single one of us has or will have, you know, somebody come after us and tell us that we're nuts. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? For a variety of reasons, you know, Um, but God meets 
us in all of those mm-hmm. places. And um, I send, sent in an email to someone, you know, this week, I don't trust God because I understand God. They, they had a question about some of the readings. I don't trust God because I understand. I trust God because again and again and again and again, I have seen God show up and be faithful to myself and to mm-hmm. others that I know and throughout his word, right? And so it isn't about doing these things of our own power, right. but it is about looking for the ways inviting God into that place, you know, um, allowing God to to, uh, wrestling with God, you know, Mm -hmm. like Job does. That's, uh, that's a faithful thing to do. Um, and so it is, it is knowing that the kingdom of God is not just talk. It's not just talk. It's It's, power. I'm glad you said it's a very honest response to that question. Where where do we find the power to endure getting persecuted really mm-hmm. as, as Christians for mm-hmm. the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's not a persecution is a very strong word. So maybe it's sometimes it's just being t- made to feel uncomfortable yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or, or getting criticized or getting, you know, kind of left out or, or, sure. or pushed to the corners of, of a social circle. The power comes from knowing that all truth is God's truth, which we addressed, you know, a few minutes ago with another question in another part of first Corinthians but what that produces, and Amanda, I'm glad you you picked out that verse, verse 20. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Well, yeah. what does that produce? That's the power to give us a calm and a non-anxious confidence in Christ. And it's not because we have secret knowledge. It's mm-hmm. not because we just learned all this stuff. It's because we know that God is with us. Not mm-hmm. that we found our way to God, but God found us yeah. and we made some room. That's all we got to oh. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it produces this confidence. It produces... I think about the people who are my heroes of faith, Mm -hmm. um, the people I look up to, the people I learned from uh, over the years, some of them still living, some of them have died. Mm -hmm. And every single one of them has this in common. And none of them are perfect people, because that gets back to the first question in 1 Corinthians. We don't follow... I don't follow them, but they taught me to follow Jesus Mm -hmm. or to make room for Jesus in, in my heart and in my life. And that produces the confidence. When I see them, I see confidence. Mm. Not confidence in me or, or in them. You know, I, I, we all have heroes. We talked about this at a pastor's meeting a few weeks ago. Who are your heroes as theologians and biblical interpreters? We all have people like that too. And when I see them, I just, I realize there's too many Christians, I think, get super hyped up and anxious about, oh, we got to defend God. Like God needs a defense lawyer. God does not need a defense lawyer. We just need to let this roll and, and let it be and invite people into the story and invite, which is what reading the Bible does. And, and even more, reading the Bible goes from reading it to learning it to living it. And when we live it, it makes all the difference. And with that, I think that leads us right into our next question. Yeah. Yeah, what does 1 Corinthians 5 through 6 reveal about the sinful state of the first century Corinthian church, how faithful churches enact church discipline, and the eternal destinies for those who do wrong and indulge in sexual sin? Let's read these verses in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, uh, because there's a lot of ditches here, and um, we're going to get into it, but I think we also have to identify the ditches first. So I'm just going to read it. Don't you realize, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and following, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Okay. So, it, so <laughs> if we aren't careful, we're going to read that and we're going to fall into some ditches. 
uh, among them is to only emphasize the sins that we're afraid of or that we're angry about or that we've been hurt by, by, by other people. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is we say, well, I'll pick out the sexual sin part of this, or I'll pick out the drinking part of this, the drunkards, or I'll pick out the, uh, I'm a victim of abuse, somebody could say. So mm-hmm. that, that's the one I want to zoom in on. But there's a whole list here. Mm-hmm. There's cheaters too. And we know elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul even expands that list even more. So one ditch that we can fall into, which would be false and would lead to a improper application of this text, would be to say... Let's let's use sex as an example. Instead of, you know, talking around it, let's just get to it. Say, so sexual sin, that's the worst one. That's terrible. Somebody would say, well, it doesn't say it's the worst one. It does say later it causes all sorts of harm to the body and it can harm relationships too when you go outside the boundaries of God's will. But it's not the only thing on this list. So we can't just lift up the sins that we don't like or we're afraid of or we've been hurt by and say that's what it's all about. That's mm-hmm. not what it's all about. Mm-hmm. The equally dangerous ditch on the other side is to say it's not about the one I don't want it to be about. Yeah. And that's the hard part, especially for our culture today, that says God doesn't get to tell me where my sexual boundaries are. I know better than God. Now let's put this in the context of Job. Let's put this in the context of Paul writing to the Corinthian people who are sucked in by the philosophers and and, and the other religious leaders. And he's saying, "Ah, you got to look a little higher (laughs) for your source of truth. How deep does that well go? So with that setting the table to get to the actual question is, what does this reveal about the sinful state of the first century Corinthian church? Well, if you go back one chapter to chapter five, (laughs) Paul starts, it feels like it's the intro to the Jerry Springer show. (laughs) You know, I hear stories uh, that you actually have a man in your church Mm -hmm. who is in a sexual relationship with, of all people, his stepmother. Mm -hmm. Shame on you, is what Paul's saying. Mm -hmm. So our world would say, hey, love is love. Whatever you want to do is what you get to do. But let's make sure we're defining love, Mm -hmm. first of all. And then secondary, let's make sure that what we say aligns with God's will. Not just to say Mm -hmm. because we want to be religious like that, but as a matter of humble trust. Yeah. And say, you know, the God who invented sex and says it's a gift might know something a little bit more than the culture does of today or a generation ago or centuries ago or whatever it's evolving into. Maybe mm-hmm. God actually knows more about what love is and about how sex is, as this gift is to be shared. And so the Bible in totality from the beginning of creation all the way through makes this very clear that sex is a gift that God gives to the world that is to be shared between a man and a woman within the boundaries of marriage. Mm-hmm. Wow, does that go against a lot of what our culture wants to hear and wants to say? So what do we do? We try to interpret our way around it. We try to we try to push through. We try to come up with all sorts of different things. Let's stay out of the ditches and let's let God's word challenge us once in a while yeah. instead of just telling God's word what we want it to say. Um, I'm fond of saying this. Do you want the Bible to say what it says? Do you want me to tell you what it says or what you want it to say? Because what it actually says challenges me at times uh, and challenges everybody at times. Who do we trust to be the source of how we're going to live our life? Yeah. I appreciate what Paul says, too, about because part of the question is about church discipline as well. It is. Um, and um, which is a really interesting concept for us to talk about. And that would be quite the the rabbit hole, I think, if we were to go <laughs> down there. Um, but. 
Paul's context is he talks about church discipline, particularly as it relates to this person in chapter five. Ultimately, he says um, that what he wants, his goal for this man is to be for him to be saved on the day that the Lord returns. And his main problem with the church is that the church is celebrating uh, their their freedom, right. right? Their freedom to do whatever it is that they want and uh, in Christ, freedom in Christ to do whatever they want uh, and then to be forgiven. May, Paul's main problem with the church is that honestly, they're enabling this man's behavior by telling him that anything goes and yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. And so this man has literally no reason then to kind of fall back and review and say, is this wise? Is it? Because my understanding in doing a little research about that is under Roman law, what he was doing was against Roman law, if I understand it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um so what's this, you know, if, if, the, if the, the church are clearly the only people who are telling this guy that he's doing the right thing, uh, and Paul's motive is you're enabling him, stop doing that mm-hmm. because it's the only yeah. way he's going to see that what he's doing is wrong, and that's the only way he's actually going to be mm-hmm. saved, and that is the goal. That mm-hmm. is the goal. It's so important. That Thank you for saying that because that's where the church slides yeah. off the rails sometimes mm-hmm. is yeah. we say the goal is to punish. Mm-hmm. The goal is to purify the church. Actually, the goal is to reform and and mm-hmm. to call people to find a better life, a better way. Mm-hmm. Richard, let's go back into the verse that a lot of people would want us to to help them with, yeah, yeah. which trips they trip over. Uh, chapter mm-hmm. 6, verse 9 of right. 1 Corinthians. There's a Greek word here, right? A couple of Greek yeah, words. Yeah. Tell us about those. Um, this There's all these debates of do these words really say what everybody's thought they said? And, and this mm-hmm. is one in particular... Um, there's several words Paul's used. This one is, is arsenokotoi, or arsenokoteo is the verb, and it literally means a man sleeping with a man. And Paul made the word up, actually. It, it's, and what he made it up from is, is he pulled uh, the, I believe it's uh, from Leviticus, am I correct? Um, where it just simply says uh, a man's not supposed to sleep with another man, and he takes the word man, which is arseno. Leviticus 18 and 20, yep. yeah. And then he takes um, sleep, which is koteo, and then he he shorthands it there, and 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 anybody who's reading this from a Jewish background at the time would say, oh, he's talking about Leviticus eighteen. Mm-hmm. So he's grounding it not in a particular definition of a contemporary word, but he's creating a word so everybody knows he's talking about what's in the Torah. So he's saying, you know, basically, uh, this is not what I think. This is what God's word thinks. Um, what's very important is in in the concept of, of how the the Old Testament thinks about sex. Um, is he's not talking about people being homosexuals, but people having sex with the same gender. Uh, you couldn't be a homosexual until Sigmund Freud, and he invented the idea of people being gay. Mm. And then all of a sudden you had people being hunted down for possibly being gay. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Which all... still happens sadly mm-hmm. today. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's not... Paul was talking There's about... There's nothing the... Christian about that. No, no. Yeah. In fact, that, that's yeah. Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's very important that we get at that. What he's talking about is bedroom habits, not if someone is a homosexual. Because mm-hmm. he would—it's gotten... the behavior, not the not not who you are or exactly. who, how you identify. Yeah, yeah, which I think is an important word for anybody who's hearing this. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be most people who either identify as mm-hmm. LGBTQIA plus mm-hmm. and yeah. or yeah. have a loved one who does. Yeah, or yeah. ten ten loved ones mm-hmm. who do. Yeah, mm-hmm. the reality is that's a part of how we talk and, and, and mm-hmm. how we articulate our yeah. identities these days. So into that world, the Bible still dares to speak mm-hmm. and still has a word actually of grace mm-hmm. and comfort because 
the problem with just taking verse nine or even nine and 10 by itself is you don't read 11. Yeah. Some of you were once like that. And I'm not just talking about sexual sin, Paul's saying. I'm talking about greed. I'm talking mm-hmm. about adultery. Yeah. I'm talking about uh, drunkenness. I'm talking about abusiveness. I'm talking about mm-hmm. cheating or stealing or, or anything like that. Yeah. Slandering people, he says, other places. Gossiping. So you could biblically make the case. Cause it's cause Some people loudly will say, well, gay people will never get into heaven. Wow. How small is the cross yeah. for you? How, how small is God's grace? It, you could also make the case, if you say that, you would also have to say, if you're being biblically honest and fair, mm-hmm. people who gossip will never get into heaven. Mm-hmm. Yep. They will ne- it, you have the same chance. Mm-hmm. That's Paul's point here. Mm-hmm. You're, that's, our sin keeps us out of heaven, for sure. So... Let me offer you a word of grace. You have been cleansed. You were cleansed, Paul says. You were made holy. You were made right with God, mm-hmm. not by fixing yourself, but by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Mm-hmm. Apart from grace and what God does to save us, I'm going to tell you something, everybody. You have no hope. Yeah. I have no hope apart mm-hmm. from grace. Fixing ourselves and fixing other people isn't going to save us. But that said... There's Tim Keller, who was one of those heroes of mine who just died of cancer recently, a Presbyterian pastor in the middle of the city of New York and a brilliant academic and and thinker, but also a a pastor's heart. And he's in New York City. So, you know, very progressive politically at all sorts of levels. And yet he still was respected in that community because he's like, I I don't have to hate you. and, And I don't. I don't have to hate you if I disagree with you. We don't have to divide over these things. And so... Tim Keller says, if you read 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, and if you've read them, great, maybe this will click right away. If you're just watching the podcast first and then you're going to read them or you want to reread them after this, do this. Keller says, two attitudes that Paul is fighting back against heart for the Corinthian church and the Corinthian culture, which sounds a lot like American culture Mm -hmm. today. One is that sex is an appetite and you can just do what you want and your body is nothing. The Greek philosophers have this low view of the body. Mm -hmm. It's all spirit. It's not, your body doesn't matter. So do whatever you want with your body. Paul says, no, you can't because your body's a temple and you belong to Christ and, and what you do with your body matters and it counts. But the second part of that Paul goes after in the next chapter, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, is to say that sex is dirty, sex is bad, don't do it. I mean, all you should ever do it for is just to procreate, and that's the only reason. That, is, that just does not fit the biblical ethic yeah. of, of what this gift is. The gift is a gift. There's nothing dirty or bad about it when it's used within the boundaries of the instructions of the one who invented the gift and and created the gift. Mm -hmm. So more to say, but what else do you want to say? Because we got to wrap it up. (laughs) I'd say one thing from from a pastoral perspective. Um, The amount of trust between the LGBTQI community and the church as an institution is somewhere in the negative numbers. Mm -hmm. And we have to acknowledge as we read the truth of Scripture that we have weaponized things like this, and that is one of the most oppressed groups historically by the church, because, again, they've not read all of Scripture. We we just take a verse, and because that group makes us uncomfortable, we're going to weaponize it, we're going to go after them, we're going to criminalize them, sometimes even kill them. And Mm -hmm. we have to read through that lens as we speak the truth of Scripture so that we don't wind up weaponizing God's Word. 
We want to hold a high view yeah. of this gift that God has yeah. given the world of sex. And it's a low view when we demean it and say, well, mm-hmm. it's all bad. It's all evil. It's just you know yeah. something you yeah. have to endure. And on the other hand, it's it's something that you can just do anything you want with. And yeah. we know better than the one who created us and created this gift. Mm-hmm. When we take this high view of sex, then it is something that that bonds us together. That's Paul's point here mm-hmm. is it's bigger than you're saying it. It's not just a physical act. Yeah. There's emotion involved. There's a spiritual part of it. There's a component that's mental bonding. Mm-hmm. It's not just two physically become one, but the two become one in almost every possible way. Mm-hmm. And when the gift of sex happens outside of marriage, it transfers this gift from something we enjoy to something mm-hmm. we endure yeah. and something that ultimately will hurt. Yeah. It will hurt community. It will hurt other people. Mm-hmm. So this is the highest view of sex. Paul's pushing for it hard. And yeah. he's saying, look, Corinthian church, I love you, but you were made for more than this. Yeah. And so were we. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to love. God loves us we have to do better as a church at loving. As I said on a podcast a few weeks ago, if we're known more as a church for our stance on on some of the social issues of our day than we are on love and yep. grace, yep. we are not being faithful to Scripture. We're not following God's way. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't do what we just did. Yep. We'll, we'll tell you what God's Word says, even though we know it's going to challenge people and challenge our culture. But we speak that Word of God, mm-hmm. God's Word to you in a, a, as a truth in love. Uh, you said it, Richard, the, the relationship between church people and the LGBT uh, community is negative, maybe at best. That's not right. Mm-hmm. I, and that needs to change. And we need to lead that charge yeah. as Christians, yeah. as the church. If we are not known by our love, which we'll read about later in the New Testament, mm-hmm. are we really Christian? Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So we love you. We love all of you. Yeah. More importantly, God loves you. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 6. And we're saved by his grace, not by our behavior. We'll see you at church this week. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.